Somebody suggested this morning I might have to reintroduce myself to this particular congregation. Generally speaking, the way it works, um, I'm scheduled to be at Faith East on the first Sunday of the month, and Faith West the second Sunday, Faith North the third Sunday of the month, and then the assumption is I'll probably be traveling somewhere on the, the fourth Sunday. That, that's kind of the, the way it's supposed to be. And um, <laughs> Pastor Rod reminded me that I have not had the privilege of speaking here since March, and um, that is very, very unusual. A lot of that has to do with travel, some other things as well, but um, part of the uh, just blessing and opportunity that we have as a church is our desire to serve the Lord around the world, and so missionary activity is very, very important to us, and that is becoming more and more a part of the way I serve here. I, I just finished, I've been um, the five foreign countries this year, and um, it's interesting as you go to these various places and try to serve the Lord, how that generates additional contact. So I was recently in Japan um, with Isaac Madison and some others, and um, while there we met, uh, among a number of people, the former prime minister of New Guinea. He's now an ambassador to Japan, so he was in Taiwan with us and um, attending the conference we were there. Well, it probably won't surprise you to know that um, what he wants to do is see if there's a way to bring us to New Guinea. And I had to look up on the map and find out even where that was. And um, so it just kind of one thing leads to another, leads to another. And again, our church loves the world. Uh, we love a God who loves the nations, and so we, we do travel. So I, I just want to thank you. You know, we have, um, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 different pastors who are regularly in the preaching rotation around here, and uh, we just consider ourselves like one big hunk of baloney. And so just cut us up into 14 slices or whatever it is, and just wherever there's needs and opportunities, we just kind of go that direction. And I really appreciate a church family that um, just doesn't matter who, 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 what pastor happens to be speaking as long as we're speaking from the Word of God. In fact, our desire as a pastoral staff would be this, that, that when you're out at lunch and one of the Presbyterians at the restaurant asks you, hey, what, 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 what pastor spoke over there today? Maybe your answer would be something like, you know, I don't remember that guy's name, but I do remember the name of the person he talked about a lot, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and if that's the way we've got it going on, then that's a, a very, very good thing. But I'm glad to be back and um, just to, to see you all and get the fellowship with you today. W would you agree with me this morning that at least some men don't seem to do as well when they're sick as, well, anybody else on the planet? Is that true? And I, I'm not trying to get something stirred up here right before Christmas, so I, I'm choosing my, my words carefully, but, but is that generally true? Men don't do very well when they're sick. Is, is that true? Yeah, okay. All right, well, I know it is for me, and, and part of the challenge is I, I rarely get sick, but when I do, I probably make more of an issue of it than I should. So, for example, when our kids were growing up, that they would tell you that, that, that on the rare occasions when Daddy was sick, what I would tell them is, hey, call Hip and Steals, you know, the funeral home right down, down the road here, because Dad is really bad, really, really, really bad. And Daddy's probably going to, to meet Jesus. So, so even if it was just the cold or a flu, I'd tell my family to, to call hip and steals. Well, well, somebody at our church heard that I did that, and they knew somebody who worked at hip and steals. And, and so the next time I got sick, probably about a year later, my phone rings, and it's somebody from hip and steals. 
And they said, hi, Pastor Byron, I'm so-and-so. I work at Hip and Steel Funeral Home, and I hear you might be in need of our services, this person said. (laughs) Everybody in my life is a comedian. I don't know know how I got that privilege. Anyway, I had an event this year earlier that that proved that principle in my life beyond a shadow of a doubt. It was on the the Monday night of our biblical counseling training conference in February. That, That event starts on Sunday. And so Sunday night I I spoke like I I typically would be scheduled to. And then Monday um, I had quite a few sessions to teach at the various tracks. And so I did that and finally got home pretty late Monday night. And many of you have been to our house. We have a detached garage and I typically park my Jeep there. And I I did. And when I stepped out out of my Jeep, I, I had this unusually strong pain right here in my back, right here in my back. And I thought, man, I must have pulled something and then I took a couple of steps toward the house, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And I'm trying to figure out what in the world is going on. It's, it's dark out. I'm really not sure what's happening. To complicate things, Chris and, and our son, the bear, were, were not home right then, which means I didn't even have, any, have anybody to complain to. And, and, and part of the challenge was by the time I got into the house, I could not find a position in which to get comfortable. I tried to sit down on his pants, just tried to stand up. In fact, I, I kind of drug myself. Did I mention I don't do well when I'm sick? I kind of drug myself back to the bedroom, and I, I even laid down on the bed, and I, I could not find any relief. I just felt powerless. That's what I'm trying to illustrate for you right now, just what it's like to feel powerless. I didn't know what to do. Well, pretty soon I heard voices, and Chris had come home, and then Barry Redding spends Monday evenings with our son, the bear. They do a Bible study and that sort of thing. So Chris was coming in, Barry and the bear were coming in all at the same time, and I tried to get up and just greet Barry, and he could tell something was wrong. In fact, he may have mentioned at that point, you might have a kidney stone. Well, regardless, that is what it turned out to be. And what I remember about those next few moments, one was the ride to the hospital. Chris drove me, and, you know, it's two, two, uh, two miles from our house to IU Hospital. That was the longest ride in the world. I, I, I could pick out every bump in the road. And then there was the moment when the, the nurse came in, so they had done some diagnostic testing. By then, they'd figured out it was a, a kidney stone. And she said to me, we're going to give you some IV pain meds now. And I rarely take medication, but at that moment, I would have done anything to get that IV. If she had said, bark like a dog, I probably would have barked. If she said, empty your bank account, I probably would have done that. I mean, you name it. What I'm trying to point out, I was just powerless, powerless. And it was a, it was a pitiful sight, a pitiful sight. In fact, I'm glad doctors and nurses aren't allowed to make videos of people at moments like that and post them on the internet because I'm quite sure it would be embarrassing, embarrassing. Well, something much worse than that is when you feel powerless spiritually, where you've got something going on in your life and it's just, it's just so bad, it's so hard, it's so, so painful that, that you just you, you feel powerless. Maybe you have had a job loss, or maybe there's a difficult family situation, or maybe you have a, and I realized even as I was thinking about this introduction this morning, there's people in, in this um, room, you've had or a family member has had a physical problem 
that makes my little kidney stone feel like a, a hangnail in, in comparison. I know that some of you have been through some, some deep, deep, deep water, but, but, but we, all know, we all know what it's like to be in a situation where we, we just feel powerless. Well, this morning we've got some really good news. The God of heaven and earth has a Christmas present for you. It's His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has many names and many attributes, but one of them is that He's the mighty God. With that in mind, I want to invite you to open your Bible this morning to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, that's on page 492 of the the front section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. So if you're going to use that this morning, just go to page 492 in the Old Testament in the front section, and that should bring you to Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. You know, Christmas is delightful for all sorts of reasons, isn't it? I mean, all sorts of them for sure. But one that doesn't always come to the forefront of the average person's mind is that, that, that many of the, deal, the details surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ, that they were prophesied in exact detail hundreds and in some cases thousands of years before they occurred. And many of them When those prophecies were originally given, it seemed like that would be practically impossible to fulfill. And so the readers are left scratching their heads. I mean, how could that happen? I mean, how could God ever bring that about? And the challenge for God's people throughout history has always been to respond to God's Word with faith, believing that He is powerful enough and wise enough to do what he said he was going to do, even when we couldn't see how that would happen. Well, the benefit that people like you and me have is we live a lot further down the trail of biblical history, don't we? So we have, in many cases, not only prophecies given, but now we have prophecies fulfilled. And that totally changes, at least it should, but the way we look at whatever God is saying about today that might be hard to believe or are hard to follow, or, or truths about tomorrow, prophecies that, that aren't yet fulfilled, that are hard to believe and, and hard to trust. But the more you study God's Word and you see the, these prophecies that, that have now been fulfilled in exact detail. Why, it, it takes your breath away. It takes your, your breath away. So again, there are all kinds of things about Christmas we love, all kinds of things about it. But I hope pretty high up the list is the fact that look at all the promises that, that God made about Christmas, and look at the way they've come to pass. I'm in Isaiah 9, beginning in verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, Later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke. Here's the reason. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. By the way, if if that doesn't all make sense, Lord willing, that's what we're going to be talking about on Christmas Eve, all right? Now, 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 for every booted warrior in the battle tumult, 
um, cloak rolled in blood will be for burning. In other words, you won't need any of those weapons of war anymore. Fuel, it'd be like fuel for the fire. What, why? What, what's the prophecy? For a child will be born to us, a, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And now listen to his four names. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Secondly, what? Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness, first, then, on, and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Two weeks ago, Pastor Hutton talked to you about the first word or the first name for Jesus being the, the wonderful counselor. Did you enjoy that message? I hope you did. The Savior whose words are often unexpected, they're extraordinary, they're unusual, which means many times the perspective on life that Jesus the Messiah brings to the table, well, it's different than what we would have thought. So his word is anything but predictable or, or bland or, or boring. You don't read the Bible and say, well, that's exactly what I would have thought. No, 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 no. Why? Because Jesus is the wonderful counselor. And his truth causes us to be surprised. That's not the way I would have thought about it. I, I thought when my enemy did something wrong to me, the, what came to me natural is to punch him in the noggin. That's what I wanted to do. And yet the wonderful counselor says what? I got to love him. I got I to love him. His truth is surprising. And, well, it causes us to be enthralled and, and, and captivated and filled with, with wonder. Praise God for a gift like that, huh? Merry Christmas. Because Jesus is the wonderful counselor. And by the way, I do hope, I do hope over the last couple of weeks, you, you had some situations where, the, the way you thought about it, that, that, that was one path. A, a, and what the wonderful counselor said about it, that was a whole, totally different path, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're at the crossroads. Am I going to do it my way or am I going to do it the wonderful counselor's way? What, what, what choice did you make? I hope you said to yourself, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to me right now. Merry Christmas because God has given me a Messiah, a Savior, who is a... He's a wonderful counselor. His ways are different than mine. And, and, and not just that, he's a whole lot smarter than me. Do you tell yourself that? Huh? And, and therefore, which path were you going to follow? Hopefully you followed the, the path that was being laid out for you by your, your wonderful counselor. Well, this morning, we want to focus on the second name, where we learn about a gift. He is, he is mighty. He's our mighty God. And with the time we have, let's think about four principles necessary to understand and, and benefit from God's power. Well, first of all, we saw it. God predicted that the Messiah would be the, the, the mighty God. And I think it's very important for us to keep in mind, you know, when God inspired that verse, and by the way, do you believe that that verse is inspired by God? People, the Holy Spirit moved on Isaiah as he wrote those words, being exactly what God wanted to be written. I hope you believe that. Well, predicting what the Messiah would be like, the attributes could have been practically endless, but, but in this verse, he chooses four characteristics that especially stand out, and one of them is about his son's power. 
Now, what I'd like us to do for just a minute is to think about how this word mighty is used in other places in the Bible, just so we have a full understanding of what does it mean for Jesus Christ to be the the mighty God. So, So what are some other places that's used? Well, mighty means possessing outstanding bravery. In fact, I'm going to give you a verse right now. You'll recognize it, but you'll say, wait a minute, that verse doesn't have the word mighty in it. Actually, in the original language, it does, but it's translated something else other than mighty. Let's see if you can guess. What, what word in, is mighty in Isaiah 9-6, but translated something else in this particular verse? 1 Samuel 17, 51, and when the Philistines saw that their, their champion was dead, they fled. Which word do you think in that verse is the word mighty in Isaiah 9-6? Anybody want to venture a guess? Yeah, the word champion. That's champion. And by the way, who's, who is the champion? We're, we're, we're talking about Goliath. You remember that. that? Goliath was a champion because he was known for his outstanding bravery. By the way, Goliath was having a pretty bad day when that verse was written. And if you're going to read the rest of the verse, I would encourage you to do it after lunch because there's some pretty rough stuff there for sure. But, but that's the idea. That's part of what it means to be, to be mighty, to be unusually brave, to be a, a champion. Also, this is uncommon faithfulness. You remember these guys? It's, it's a fascinating group of guys in the Bible. First Chronicles 29, 24, all the leaders and the mighty, there's our word again, the mighty men... And also all the sons of King David submitted themselves to King Solomon. Now, if you've studied the Bible, you you know that that David had a small group of men. They were especially loyal to him. They were especially skillful. They were especially powerful. They were the ones that that David would rely on when everything else was on the line. And, And that group of men in the Bible was known as who? They were David's, yeah, mighty mighty men, in part because they were so faithful. That's the kind of Messiah that God was sending to us, also heroic power. Here's a very unusual verse, Psalm 103, 20. Praise the Lord, you as angels, you, here it is, you mighty ones who do His bidding, who obey His Word. Now, there's a lot about angels that, that we just don't know about, right? There's just not a lot in the Bible about him, about them, or about their work. But, but one article I was reading about this word mighty, angels are, are mighty ones, it referenced that verse and it described angels as powerful heroes, powerful heroes. I do wonder, now again, I, there's a lot about this we don't know, but I do wonder if when we get to heaven we'll actually get to meet our guardian angel. I have a picture of that guy just he, totally worn out. I mean, totally hard. His hair's just going crazy if they got hair. His robes have got in them totally tattered. He'll probably punch me. He'll probably punch me. I don't know. If, can angels do that? You wore me out. In fact, I mentioned traveling. I, was, I had a responsibility two Sundays ago. I had the privilege of speaking at Faith East, and then I had to get on the road, and I, had to, I was driving, and I had to drive to about 11 o'clock at night and I'm stopping. It was just rain and rain and rain the, the whole trip. And, and has this ever happened to you? I finally got safely to my destination and thought, you know, I don't even remember half that trip. That ever happened to you? I don't even remember. I don't even remember all of that. And, and I, again, I'm not trying to be spooky here, but I do wonder. <laughs> I wonder if my angel someday has had. 
I saved you so many times, you have, have no, no idea. Well, well that, that's the same word, mighty. In many places in the Bible where God's described that way, oh, Lord God Almighty, who, who is like you? You're, you're mighty. Do you believe that about your God? You're mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Here's another very important piece of this puzzle. When God's Word talks about someone being mighty, many times it's also connected to justice. Listen to this in Psalm 89, 13. Your arm is endued with power. Your hand is strong. Your right hand is exalted. Now, listen, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. The New International Dictionary of Old Testament Theology says this, God's power is inextricably linked to righteousness. That's very, very important. We're not talking about raw power. We're not talking about power out of control. God's power is inextricably linked to His righteousness, to His goodness, to His… Aren't you glad for this? His justice, His steadfast love and faithfulness, the divine power and righteousness are as vast as the immeasurable distance separating earth from the, the high heavens. Now, I realize you might say, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor Rush. Isn't it possible, though, for someone to have a whole lot of power but not to exercise it righteously? What's the answer to that? You better believe that's possible. But that's scandalous in, in the Bible. Here's an example of it. Jeremiah 23.10, the land is full of adulterers because of the curse of the land lies parched and the pastures in the desert are withered. Here, listen to this. The, the, the prophets follow an evil course. The prophets follow an evil course and they do what? Yeah, they're, they're mighty. They're mighty, but they're using their power unjustly. And that, that is absolutely scandalous in God's eyes. So the word mighty, very significant in the Bible. Now, here, here's one, mother, one other important point. It's, it's wise understanding. Power and wisdom are often connected in the Scripture. To God belong wisdom and power. There's a combination. That, that, that's bacon and eggs right there. You want both, right? You don't want just some egg, eggs. You don't want just some bacon. Well, maybe you do. I'm totally off my notes right now. <laughs> I probably should have had more breakfast. Wisdom and, and, and power. Now, now, now what's, what's the significance uh, of that? Well, in the Bible, mighty isn't simply used to speak about raw power. It's power that's used well, and therefore it's, it's uncommon, it's extraordinary. So, so that word is reserved for the champion, for the hero, for the mighty men of valor. And when it's used positively, it's a person who exercises power in a way that's just and compassionate and wise. And God wanted His people to know that the day's coming, the day's coming when a child is going to be born, when a son will be given, that the government will rest on His shoulders, and this Messiah, it'd be mighty. It'd be the, the mighty God now, before we try to apply this to us, and, and we do, we, we need to apply this phrase to us, but, but, but first of all, think about how the people in Isaiah's day needed that message. You, you realize that these prophecies, all of them, that they were given in a historical context, and they had a purpose even for the people of the day in which they were given. So, so now we've got to talk about the background of Isaiah 9, and I will tell you, it's a bit complicated and I'm going to try to make this just a, a, as simple as I can. 
Isaiah ministered during the lifetime or the reign of four different kings. And Isaiah 7 to 9 is a unit. And that was written about 735 B.C. And it was written to a guy named King Ahaz. That's all you need to remember. King Ahaz, 735 B.C. Now, it's only going to take a minute, but there's a very important, very important point here, I think. By this time in history, and it's, it's tragic, but God's chosen nation was divided. And so we had the, the northern kingdoms. They retained the name Israel. And we, I, I'm sorry, the northern tribes. They retained the name Israel. And then you had the southern tribes, which were called Judah. But that was all of God's people. And the northern tribes were a little bit more advanced in their unrighteousness. So they will eventually be judged by God first, but then the southern tribes would eventually be um, judged as well. Now, Isaiah is ministering primarily to the king of the southern tribes. That was King Ahaz. Now, now here's the problem. Here's the problem. The, The king of the northern tribes, Israel, had made an alliance militarily with two pagan kings pagan king. That's what he was trusting in. And they even were bringing some of the worship practices from these pagan nations into the way they were supposedly worshiping their God. So they they had terribly compromised in order to try to build military might. And then the, the, the king of the northern tribes was actually pressuring King Ahaz, the the king of the southern tribes, to join their alliance. And so Ahaz had a decision to make. Was he going to trust them? Here's the good news. Ahaz didn't. Ahaz did not make an alliance with the northern kingdoms and those two uh, pagan nations. He, he did not do that. And, and Isaiah's ministry, here's how this fits into this. Isaiah's ministry was just to remind King Ahaz that wicked alliance is not going to work. That wicked alliance is not, don't join them. That will not prosper. And Ahaz needed to hear that because he is afraid. He was afraid. But, but here's the amazing thing. It's shocking that it happened. You know what Ahaz did? He turned right around and made an alliance with a different pagan nation. He made an alliance with the ruthless and wicked nation of Assyria. So what's going on, the background of Isaiah chapter 9 is wrongful compromise and a lack of trust and just downright disobedience. So the Word of God, see, this king had a choice. In fact, it reminds you of verses like Jeremiah 9.23. This is what the Lord says, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. See, I'm smart enough that I can figure out a military solution without God. Or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. Let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I'm the Lord who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. So Ahaz chose to trust in his own wisdom 
and his own ability to get himself out of a jam. Now, before we say, oh, man, he is bad, how, how far of a walk would it be from what King Ahaz chose to do to some of the choices you and I make? When we have to figure out how we're going to handle something we don't like or we have to handle, we have to figure out how we're going to get ourselves out of a jam. So, so let's not say this morning, oh, that Ahaz was bad. I'm glad I'm never bad like that. <laughs> no. No. Psalm 147.10, his pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor is delight in the legs of a man. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love, even when God's word. Remember, he's not just the mighty God. What did Pastor Hutton talk to us about a couple weeks ago? He's the wonderful counselor. Sometimes the wonderful counselor's direction doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. I think I know better about what I ought to do than what the wonderful counselor just said. And it's at that point, am I going to be a person where, where I, I, I fear the Lord and I put my hope in, in His unfailing love? And it's in that setting that God directs His prophet Isaiah to tell of a coming day when there's going to be a perfect king, a whole lot better than Ahaz, who's not going to cave in and who's not going to take shortcuts, who's not going to compromise the will and ways of God because this king is going to be the, he's going to be the mighty God, the, the mighty God. The people of that day needed to hear that. Now, there's somebody else who needed to hear it. You know who it was? It, it was Isaiah himself. Now, now, if you've studied this book before, you, you probably know, say, what is the most famous chapter in the book of Isaiah? I, I think, I, I don't know that I could prove this, but I think it's Isaiah 6. So, so let's go back to Isaiah 6 for a minute and just, just look at this passage. This is the passage when Isaiah has a vision of God. Let, let's look at it. This is Isaiah 6, 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Think about this. Picture this in your mind. Lofty and exalted with a train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim, angels stood above him each having six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. By the way, this is why we believe God's central attribute is his holiness. Now, he has many other attributes as well, but his central attribute is his holiness. And think of this, the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, well, the temple was filling with smoke. So, so how did Isaiah respond to that vision? Here's what he said. Uh, boy, all those other people are, are really bad. I'm glad I'm not like them. Was that it? No, I said, woe is me. Woe is me. When I contemplate the holiness of God, woe is me. Maybe Isaiah was the most spiritual person in the whole nation. I don't know. But compared to the holiness of God, what? What woe is me, I'm ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have, have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, now look what happens next. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away. Can you imagine a holy, a holy God who is also willing to forgive our sin? 
Behold, this has touched your lips, and your, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then Isaiah, Here am I, here am I, send me. What a marvelous, marvelous passage. But, but here's the amazing thing. If you keep reading deeper into chapter 6, and in other places in the book of Isaiah, here's what you're going to find. God is very clear with Isaiah. Your ministry is going to bear very little fruit in your lifetime. Now think about that. This is one of the most treasured books in the Old Testament. The book of Isaiah is directly quoted more in the New Testament than any other book in the Old Testament. So, so it's a, a treasured book for sure. But God made it very clear to Isaiah in advance, your ministry is going to be extremely difficult and bear very little fruit in your lifetime. So guess what decision he had to make? It was just like King Ahaz. Are you going to trust in your own power? Will you cave in? Will you compromise? Will you take the easy way out? And the answer for Isaiah is absolutely not. Why? Because he believed in part that someday there would be a marvelous gift and in a profound way, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And for those who live in a dark land, a light will shine on them. And what will this gift be like? He'll be the, the wonderful counselor and he'll be the mighty God. And Isaiah said, regardless of whether there's a lot of ministry fruit in my lifetime, I'm going to choose to follow my Messiah and I'm going to trust in his power to work things out in his way. And on his timeline, well, where does that take us? I would ask you this morning, does, because these words were written in 700 B.C., is there anybody who fulfills the prophecy that God has, in fact, sent someone who is the mighty God? The answer is you better believe that, and his name is Jesus, isn't it? He is the marvelous fulfillment of, of this prophecy. And I would just ask you to think about this now. What are some of the ways that Jesus Christ demonstrated to this world that he's powerful? Well, how about the power to withstand temptation? You remember Satan's offer to Jesus. That the devil took him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. Think about that. And Satan said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. I'll give you all their power and splendor, for it's been given to me, and I can give it to anybody I, I want to. And what did Jesus do in that moment? He, he spoke back to our adversary using the Word of God and absolutely refused to give in to that temptation. Why? Because he's powerful. He's powerful. And it's interesting what Luke says about that later in that same text. Jesus returned to Galilee after the temptation in the what? In the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. And by the way, I would assume that I'm looking at some people right now, and you're not going to brag about it, but one of the reasons you're joyful on the Lord's day is because in the last seven days you had some temptation to sin, and you did not give in. Why? Why? Because that was a mighty God working through you. See, not only did God promise that He would send His Son, the mighty God, He delivered on that promise, didn't He? 
And if you know Christ as Savior and Lord, that Savior is now working in and through you. And He can help you to do some pretty mighty things. Again, not not because we're going to sit around here and brag about it. What we're going to do is be amazed. We're going to be amazed when that happens. He also had the, the power to heal. You remember this, Matthew 9, 7, and he arose and departed to his house. And when the multitude saw, this, this is after the healing of the paralytic. I'm going to bring some earlier verses into this in a minute. When the, when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such, such power to men. I hope you're regularly in your Bible reading it. And I hope you look at some page and say, look how powerful my Savior is. Look how powerful my Savior is. And I get to know this Savior personally. It's powerful. He had the power to do good. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and what? And with power. And because of that, he went around doing good. You know, this, this room, I'm glad we have it set up as a worship service today on the Lord's Day. How was it set up yesterday? This was one of the distribution sites for Christmas for Everyone. I'm so glad for that ministry. I, I'm, it, it's a, we don't have the time. Boy, you all have a big clock up here. Um, what's, what's that for? So, but but <laughs> anyway, we, we, don't, we don't have... Listen, if you think that's bad, and I have, I have trouble with my watch. I don't know what... My watch started running slow again. Started running slow. And um, boy, that'll mess you up when you're preaching. Look how much time I still have. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, um, thank you. Right, we, we don't, whoever just said that is going to be tarred and feathered later on by the rest of the congregation. <laughs> don't say that to him. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, it, it, I, I don't have time to tell the whole story of how Christmas for Everyone came to this church. It's a miraculous tale. But um, many of us have this view. Before we sit down on Christmas Day, and have a nice meal and enjoy gifts with our, our loved ones, we want to do everything we can to be sure that as many people in this town have that same occasion, especially the children in this community. And, and so I'm glad for, for what happened here and at a number of other distribution sites. What, what was that? You're just doing good. You're just doing good. Why? What, what helps you overcome selfishness? It's a Savior who's what? He's mighty. He's absolutely mighty. There, there's the power to teach with authority. They were amazed at his teaching. Why? Why? Because it was powerful. It was powerful. Here's another one, the power to forgive. That you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. You know what that means? That means you and I did not have to wake up this morning um, mired in our own shame. And you might say, well, you know what? I had a pretty bad week last week, and I did some things I'm not proud of. Well, you shouldn't have. But I'm going to tell you right now, we all do. Could I get a "Mm mm-hmm on that? We we, we all, we we all, they're in a a perfect one among us. Aren't you glad that when we mess up, we, we don't have to just slink around in our own shame for the rest of our days? Aren't you glad that we have a Savior who's mighty, and He's mighty enough that He's willing to forgive us? That's why, that's why after you mess up, there ought to be a really short distance from when you messed up to when you're doing what? 
asking His forgiveness and asking whoever you sinned against forgiveness. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God for the mighty God. Praise God. He had the power to voluntarily die for ours. Jesus said, no one takes this life from me. I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down. Now, he said that on the way to the cross. I mentioned that kidney stone. If you had seen me, I'm glad you weren't there. If you had seen me, it was like, it was like I, I was minutes from, from, from death. That's the way I was acting. Think about preparing yourself for the pain of the cross. I, I cannot even imagine. And, of course, the worst part of the cross wasn't the physical pain. It was the fact that he was dying for our sin and therefore would be separated from his father while he was bearing the weight and the penalty of our sin. And he did that voluntarily for us. What's that tell you? I'll tell you he's a powerful Savior. The power to raise from the dead... But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Jesus didn't just die for our sin. He was miraculous. What does it take to raise from the dead? I'll tell you what it takes. It takes somebody really, really mighty, really mighty. He has the the power to build his church. I've been thinking this, this Christmas time, I don't know why this struck me more unusually this year, about how Jesus... What was Joseph, his father, humanly speaking? He was a carpenter, right? And so what did that mean? Well, Jesus for sure, he knew something about building, right? He knew something about projects being started and projects being processed and projects being done. And then having grown up in that kind of a home, he made a wonderful promise to people like you and me. Jesus came and spoke to them, all powers given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've committed. See, now all the authority, power was given to Jesus. So he was able to build his church. Have you seen the, the pictures of the living nativity of the last couple of nights? They're beautiful. Some of them are aerial shots looking over the entire living nativity. You think about all the people from our church family. Serving in the living nativity, and God is bringing. In fact, this is a, a and I don't, I'm just going to tell you what I was told this morning that, that the, the people that are communicating with us, that between 40 and 50 percent of them have never seen the living nativity before. I, I, that's just what I was told this morning. I'm, I'm amazed after doing it, you would think everybody in this town's seen it. And yet we have more and more people coming year after year after year in a church family that loves to serve God in that way. Well, what's that? That's because we have a Savior who is mighty. That, that's what that is. That's what that is. When I was in Japan, and I was just thinking, this fifth international trip I've had the privilege of taking this year, if you had said to me when I was in Bible, I, I, I would have just assumed, what I was planning on just being pastor of a little country church. That was my plan. It's going to have maybe, I don't know, 60, 80 people. No, no employees other than me. I'd walk in the building by myself, turn on the lights, make myself some coffee. I'd study the Bible in silence, and then every so often I'd I'd open the window, and there'd be a graveyard and some cows. That was my picture. And so the the cows would kind of come up, moo up to my window, and I'd feed them an apple. It'd just be a quiet, quiet life. Well, you know what? It's turned out to be something a little different than that. Um, I don't know where the graveyard is, and I, I... 
Hadn't seen the cows, and I don't have any apples. But I'll tell you that I'm flying to Japan thinking, how in the world did, did, did a goof like you end up being in a situation where you have the privilege and the honor of speaking to people in a country like this? How in the world did that happen? And what's the answer? Yeah, and what kind of God is He? Because I'll tell you right now, <laughs> it took a heavy lift to put me in a situation where I could do anything right. Would you want to stand in that line with me? You didn't. That would have been a good time for a yes or amen. But, but, but right, right. It, it took a heavy lift for all of us to be doing anything in this community or anything in this world that's right. And every time that, including tonight, when we get back together for the living nativity again tonight, that is the, that is the action of the mighty God. And so I'm just simply saying, God made a promise about the kind of Savior that He was going to send, the mighty God, and He kept that promise. Here's my question for you. How mighty is your God? Do you have a powerful Savior? And if you're here this morning, you say, you know, I, I, I'm not sure there's ever been a time where I've trusted Christ as Savior and Lord. I want to encourage you to do that right now. Right now. I, I, we have so many people who are new in this church right now. In fact, I, I mentioned I go from campus to campus. There's sometimes I walk and say, I'm not in the right building. Who are all these new people? Well, well, well you may be new or maybe you've been here a long time. Do, do you know that you know that you know that you're on your way to heaven? And if not, I want to encourage you to admit your need and place your faith and trust in Christ today. Do you, have a, do you have a powerful hope? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you, as you trust Him so that you may overflow with hope by what? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you'd say, Pastor Virus, I'm so trodden down because of something happening in my life. Listen, I know that we have people in this church who have gone through deep waters. But friends, l- listen, we have every reason to have hope because we serve a Savior who is powerful you have a powerful witness? I was talking to somebody yesterday who said to me, you know what, in 2024, I want to be more faithful in the way I tell others in my life about Jesus Christ. And maybe that's a goal that all of us ought to, um, ought to have for next year. Lord, may I witness for you in a way that is powerful. You have powerful confidence. Do you remember what Paul said to Timothy who, who struggled with fear? He said, God didn't give us a spirit of timidity. He didn't. He didn't give us a spirit of timidity. Many of us would be spending time with our family members around Christmas, right? And not every one of our family members knows the Lord. Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> some of you say, I got some family members. They really don't know the Lord. Well, here's the question for you. Are you going to talk to them about it? Are you going to use those opportunities to talk, talk to your unsaved family members about it? I, I hope so. And if you say, well, Pastor Robert, I, I'm, I'm too scared. Well, well, you need to remember, you've got a Savior inside of you. He's the mighty God. God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Yeah, powerful wisdom. 
When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come, Paul said, with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a, a what? A demonstration of the Spirit's power. And may God help us to trust in a Savior who is a mighty God and to live in a way that demonstrates we truly believe that. Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, it is amazing that of all the things that that you could have said through Isaiah to the people about what the Messiah would be like, you wanted for sure there to be an emphasis on his power. Father, sometimes we act like you're not very powerful. Maybe you need a little bit of our help, even if our strategies are are disobedient to what the wonderful counselor said. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to evaluate whether we really believe you're powerful and whether you have the ability to keep your promises even when it's hard to see how that would happen. Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.